Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. I'm really excited about this guest. I have so many questions, but uh, before I get into it, let's welcome Dr. Melanie Keller to the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. So the, the first thing I want to know is where did you grow up? Predominantly in Southeast Alaska. My dad actually worked for the government. So we, um, up to the age of six, we transferred quite a bit. So I was like kind of all over the country, um, but landed in Southeast Alaska. Okay, so w- Southeast Alaska, the only place I know in Alaska is Juneau. And is it is it yeah. close to? <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, Juneau is the closest. It's 80 miles north of Juneau called Haines. So um, Haines actually has the Alaska Highway come through. So it's the one place you can drive to in Alaska or in Southeast Alaska. Um, and we also have Glacier Bay kind of just on the other side of the bay that we're known for and Skagway, which is right up the inlet further, which we call Disneyland. <laughs> so my only Alaska reference uh, was a TV show. They had this family that lives in Alaska and they build their homestead there and they're in the wilderness and they're hunting for their meals and they're building their own houses and all that stuff. How how accurate is that? Well, I mean, depending on the show, back in the day, I always got the Northern Exposure reference. Um, All right. Yeah, I mean, I was there in the 80s. So it was very, it's very rural. I mean, my 
childhood friend grew up with an outhouse and a CB radio, no phone, shower, you know? So yeah, you, you build your home. We were a commercial fishing family. Um, we built our home from the ground up. I, that was interesting to observe. So yeah, I guess I, I traveled with Bear Mace to school. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just so fascinated about this. And I know we have like really important things to discuss and, uh, and medicine and everything else, but I'm just fascinated growing up because like I'm an immigrant, right? So I immigrated from, I was born in a country called Lithuania and I immigrated when I was a, when I was a kid here and, you know, starting life and I moved to Philadelphia and starting life, you know, is, is difficult, you know, language, all these different things, but Philadelphia, like you have houses and you have highways and you have stores and you have, uh, you know, your CVS, whatever it is. Like growing up in Alaska and, and you know, weather-wise, I can't stand the cold. So I lived in Philly all my life and I live in LA now. One of the main reasons I live here is because the weather is amazing. It's like hot out now, but uh, I'm not complaining. It's better than freezing cold. So give me a little more color to describe to me what it's like, like, you know, going to school, living, uh, like, how do you, you have to dress? When is, when is it warm out? How do you meet friends? Where do you play? Do you ride bikes? I'm, I'm so curious about like having a visual of this. Yeah. So I actually went the opposite to what direction in terms of like having been in what Alaskans will refer to the lower 48 or the mainland, you know, it's kind of similar to Hawaiians. Um, so I came from what I call is like the carnival slushy outside of Kmart, you know, so I saw that up until age six and then went into rural Alaska, speed limit is 35. You're going to graduate with the same 22 people that you meet in first grade. Not many dating objects, like you just know each other. You remember him in fifth grade when he cried falling off the whatever, you know. Um, so that part was interesting because I just went down to like way, but very welcoming. And, you know, you're just, we're immediately part of a family um, in, in that, in the community, my family, my mom was uh, the dental assistant. Um, she had her childhood friend that she was there visiting. And then my parents divorced. So they like, we literally were in Washington, D.C. They split. And my mom and I drove cross country, got on a ferry for three days. And next thing you know, I'm in rinky dink. It's dark because it was October. So, right, you know, eight in the you were going to school in the dark. You were coming home in the dark. Um, I was super active in school because just to be active in activities, I had a radio show. I was in the community theater because we actually, our rental when we first, before we built our house was adjacent to the theater, the main community theater. And so I got real involved in, uh, they had a melodrama that went on in the summertime. So that was showing about the gold rush and I kind of worked my way up through different parts of the melodrama. Uh, one time I had to fill in for a lot of LaRue and I had to like suddenly be this vampy, <laughs> I think I was 17 or 16, 17, like in this um, bar lady, she was the lead bar lady, but I knew all the songs, all of that. And I also was part of a indigenous dance group that would show to the tourists and um, 
and we would perform in this community. So I started that at age six. I danced with them for 13 years. And we, so we were either in the theater, in the tribal house, or we would actually go on the cruise ships themselves. And like in the 1992, I think it was, we were invited to the opening ceremony of Barcelona. And, you know, it was, yeah, it was a really big part of my life. And I got into another family because, of course, I have a certain amount of melanin in my skin. <laughs> and anytime, of course, I was there and I always enjoyed, uh, sometimes we'd have like five dances a day, right? So um, it was kind of a part-time job for me. Um, and then sometimes you'd have people show up that it was clearly their rattle, their blanket, their something that you would then, of course, there was a ranking um, of who was going to have these precious, you know, it highly insured items. Um, so yes, I can be found on postcards, Google-able of like little me. <laughs> um, so that's something that really means a lot to me though. That's pretty unique. So you did that throughout your teen years and 20s? years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have any siblings? No. Only child? Yes. Only a child. Me, mm -hmm. me too. Um, so your parents got divorced and then uh, you lived with your mom and said? I was living with my mom, but she, she had already kind of made, I mean, it was a really great close knit community. And, um, and so she had met somebody, I don't know what the timeline is, right? I'm the child, but um, he came into our life fairly quickly. Um, and, and there, like I said, there was just this, it was majority of them were teachers. So we just kind of had these, they were like my aunties. And their children became like my siblings. Got it. Yeah, it's, there's there should be a sense of community because it's it's small, so you everybody sort of helps each other out. That makes sense. And then you so you lived in Alaska, and how did you get to California? California came by way of um, being in Portland, Oregon, saying natural medicine. Anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and right. you know when I first graduated I was like oh gee I'm another naturopath in Portland Oregon so how am I going to differentiate myself and I happened to have literally won a um, internship lottery with my mentor uh, Dr. Steven Sandberg Lewis and he and I just just really clicked and I had asked to stay on with him even after graduation technically and stayed on his private shift and would just continue to see him socially and then he approached me, quite frankly, because of a Facebook post, his wife was hosting like an open house. And he said, would you like to join our group, that our center that we're starting, specializing in this particular gut health condition? And I said, absolutely. And that was really another great ticket for me to have an opportunity to be in something specific. Because even when we had our first symposium, the lead researcher that's here at Cedars-Sinai he shows up and he's kind of like, okay, who, you know, who are you naturopaths? But we had 500 people register. He was like, hang on a second. Who are you people? <laughs> and we're like, we, we love your work. We re read your research because when he's at conferences in his field for gastroenterology, irritable bowel syndrome can kind of be like looked over. Um, so he was kind of the rock star at our symposium and it was really cool. So from there, we've built this really great camaraderie and friendship between our groups. And um, yeah, I just came down to shadow 
it was like my 40th birthday, which was just yesterday. And I, I decided I was taking the month off and I was just going to go do whatever I wanted. And I happened to have just near, newly been visiting him. And he's like, well, come on down and like shadow at Cedars. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. So it was a really great opportunity to see the inside of, I call it, we all need each other, right? We need conventional medicine and we need natural and functional medicine. And so it was nice to see um, how we can work in tandem together. So I kind of skipped ahead asking a question about California you, but let me, let me roll back a little bit. When did you develop an interest in medicine uh, in general? My mom says I had the Fisher Price doctor kit <laughs> with me all the time, <laughs> um, really through my own health problems, for sure. I was actually an exchange student to Switzerland after I graduated high school. And so I got to see another system. In fact, it kind of created some tension in our family. And that was really eye-opening for me to be an American and be in a and yeah, it was just some tension. She, my host mom just wanted me to get some things done, but as a American student coming up with my own money to even be there in the first place, I just saw dollar signs and she, you know, so there was this tension of like, why aren't you getting this done? And I'm like, because dollar signs, you know, so. It, g- give me an example of that. Like, what, what does that, what does that look like? It was all about, um, getting my eyes checked and getting some glasses. And I was like, well, I have glasses. I, I do, you know, I was there for a year, you know, and like the, um, it was a Swiss eye doctor who basically offered me eye surgery before this was popular in the U S but you didn't have to pay for it or you, or you well, in her mind and as a Swiss woman with her daughter, you know, her son, it just, you just, it just gets done. And I had to be the American exchange student saying, how much is that? And just even that upset her. What do you mean? How much? Is they, don't, they don't think about it like that. Like, cause I have X amount of money. <laughs> they don't think about it like that. No, it's not. I mean, healthcare. Wow. So I, I mean, talk about learning. And, and I would finally even sit down with them over cheese and say, Switzerland is the size of New Jersey. If we only had to take care of New Jersey, it would be a different story. Layoff. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's a great example. Uh, by the way, uh, Swiss cheese, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, Swiss cheese. And Swiss well, I'm pretty, I'm like a Swiss connoisseur now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but you made a great, this is what I try to explain to people too, and it's such a great example you just made. We live in a country with 50 different countries in it. And this is what people don't understand. They're like, oh, it's the U.S., but it's, it's not. There is no resemblance at all from California to Alabama. You might as well be in completely different countries, different languages, everything. And it's very difficult to be able to, uh, you know, have different laws and, and things that, that are right for everyone. Because, you know, in, even in California, you know, you know, the Bay Area is different than, than the, the Los Angeles area, different people you know, different interests, et cetera. So it's, you brought up a really good point. It makes it much more difficult to be able to institute different policy that, that satisfies everybody. You're never, you're never going to be able to do that. Um, so you, you mentioned that you had some of your own, you know, health uh, conditions. Maybe you can explain a little bit what is uh, uh, SIBO. Am I saying it correctly? Yeah, SIBO, SIBO, 
potato, potato. Yep. Um, what is SIBO? Well, SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So I like to emphasize that it's really just stating the obvious or it's stating what it is because sometimes it can get spiraled into, for those who have it, it does have some other things that can be attached to it that can be quite challenging. I just like to point that out because really having an overgrowth of SIBO or an overgrowth of bacteria comes from having what I call a skip in the record of your gut motility. So we technically now know that having had a food poisoning, a bacterial food poisoning, because we can have a viral or a bacterial, you know, it's the gut bug and you go, oh, from the barbecue or the whatever. And oftentimes people will say, oh, my so-and-so didn't get it. Well, that's great because a hundred people can go to the wedding and all of us can have the salmonella chicken and only 10% will have this autoimmune response that I refer to as a skip in the record. So when you get that blood test, you can say, okay, if it's, if your antibodies are elevated a certain amount, that just might give it a little scratch, right? Or it might kind of make it sound cool. However, you might have a deeper groove in the record, which means you have to then get up and move the needle, i.e. that's more rules and guidelines that you might have to live by with your IPS or slash SIBO. So that's why I like to emphasize the importance of getting this test because it also truly validates and says this could not in any possibly way be an inflammatory bowel disease, which is also an autoimmune condition, but it's much more serious and requires, you know, being overseen by a gastroenterologist. This is, you know, you would get this diagnosis through myself or also a gastroenterologist. However, this is more um, functional and manageable. So I, I just wanted, you brought up an interesting point about, you know, having going to the wedding and, and eating salmonella or, or something that has uh, some sort of bacteria in it. And then some will all eat it, but some of us will only get sick. Is that due to the, your immunal response of the individual, how it responds to that specific bacteria entering your gut and it's different for different people? Yeah, technically. So we're even in this test, it's like um, in functional medicine, people might also measure for Epstein-Barr or even for the common cold, right? So our body and our immune system remembers this food poisoning. So we're looking for a particular toxin that's left behind by the most, like there's these five most common bacterial food poisoning culprits they all leave behind the same toxin. So we're looking to see, does our immune system remember having had exposure to this? Yes or no. And this can dissipate depending maybe on the severity, but you're right. It's the individual that individual's own immune system that might choose to then be triggered into self-attacking self. And that's what is the discovery, you know, everyone's really trying to discover. And why I refer to myself as an epigenetic intuitive, because there might be things that are, we call it like immune stimulating or immune supporting, and you think it's a good thing, but it actually can be causing some static versus doing what the label or even the study says that it's supposed to be good for. That, that was my next question. Uh, what is an epigenetic intuitive? What does it mean in detail? So, uh, I, I mean, I, I like, it sounds good. I like it, but like intuitive I understand what epigenetic 
means it's the you know expression of your genetic predispositions. So you turn those switches on. But intuitive, yes, we're in LA, and you know, into everybody talks about certain things. And we do sound baths, and we do all these different things that you know my friends in Philly laugh at me about. But it, it's fine. Uh, but intuitive comes off as non medicinal, I would say, right? Like if you just say, I'm an intuitive, it just comes off as like, well, but you're a doctor. What do you mean you're intuitive? That's Isn't that the person who sort of reads your aura from far away? So how do you bridge those two together uh, to, to work within the confines of what your practice is? Sure. Well, I like, number one, everyone's intuitive, in my opinion. Number two, doctors are extremely intuitive because we are trained in medical school to not only have our, what is the diagnosis, but what is the differential diagnosis? So what else do you think it is? Okay. So you have to be intuitive to even come up with those things in the first place. Yes, we're trained, but you have to be able to right take in this information. When I'm referring to myself as an epigenetic intuitive, that yes, is a doctor, I am saying I can take somebody's epigenetic report, in particular one that I use. And let's say that the evidence says turmeric is good for blank. Guess what? I can look into this person's pathways and identify that turmeric might actually be stimulating, inflammatory, not so great, block something, do something to this receptor. Now, with all due professional courtesy and respect, my colleague might just say, turmeric, it's anti-inflammatory, yada, yada, yada. However, I observe and go, has this started ever since you started this new turmeric that's oh so great for blank, blank, blank? Like, guess what? You're more anxious and can't sleep now. That makes sense to me through these pathways and my knowledge and my intuition of even asking you that question. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And, And that's the way medicine should be in the first place. You know, I feel that sometimes you go to a doctor and it's, it's a routine. Like you're just, yeah. I went recently with my daughter to see a doctor. She needed to get a referral for somebody. She had to go to her family, uh, whatever practitioner. And I thought I was in the eighties. It's like you go in and they do the whole thing where, you know, they listen to your heart, they check your, uh, uh, your glands, your neck, and they, they feel you around and ask you some questions, check your pulse, check your blood pressure. I was about to say, are you going to take the mallet and hit the knee too? Or are we doing that? They're checking all of the things that they're required to do for insurance. <laughs> Thank you. It's exactly where it's going. It's I already know the CPT code that you're going through. I already know what you're going for. It's a 15-minute block, so you get more money reimbursed than if you spend an hour I understand all that, but it's 2022. Or how do we get past that? And because we're all individuals, we watch these things and we get fed all this information. You know, I'm not even talking about cannabis, which is more or less my area of expertise, but turmeric uh, or wine. You know, we, uh, Andrew Huberman on his podcast was just talking about alcohol, and he was talking about you know this whole thing with. Uh, resveratrol? Is that, am I pronouncing it correctly? He was like, yeah, you drink so much. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we talked and my parents still like, oh, we're having our glass of red wine. I'm like, you better drink like five bottles of the red wine to do, to do anything. And it's like, 
And maybe for some people, it's not even going to be uh, beneficial. So this whole cookie cutter approach to medicine and checking off the boxes, as you said, maybe doctors are intuitive and I'm not, you know, I'm not questioning that, but maybe they don't get the opportunity to practice their intuition because they're confined to there's insurance on, first of all, no harm to anyone. You know, I want to make sure that I don't get sued. Number two, I want to make sure to get reimbursed because this is a business. So having this approach that's more personalized to individuals and being intuitive, it gives you, it takes the restraints off and allows you to, you know, to have that conversation. How, how do we encourage all medical professionals to start asking the right questions? Well, my mentor was really great in terms of like, listen to the patient. They'll tell you what's wrong. They'll tell you the diagnosis, right? Or I'll even ask people, please like try even describe it so much like as if I'm in your body. Like I want to know as much as I possibly can to then use this knowledge that they put in here (laughs) to, you know, really, and not only that, but also perhaps even um, not even getting to like an epigenetic report, but to here, if they might be sensitive to medications, for example, not like that's a common thing that comes, they might just like start off with Dr. Mel, I am sensitive to, and they'll repeat themselves and repeat. So I make sure that I repeat it back to them. Since I know you're sensitive to medications, or you've really had this up, you know, this is what's gone on with you. So it's kind of customer relations and in sale, you know, like this whole, let me let you know that I've heard you. And doctors really think it's come down to time. They don't have time for that. And they're, it's not only make sure I get reimbursed, make sure I don't have to chase for that reimbursement because all of that costs them more money. Yeah. You know, even among my colleagues, when they come to me and they'll say, well, what would you do in this case scenario? And I have often have two questions for them. Number one, are they on a probiotic? Because we're talking about a small intestine bacterial overgrowth with a record-skipping motility problem. So why in the world am I going to add more traffic to the traffic jam? So I'll just kind of look at them and say, why don't you pause the probiotic? And oftentimes in my own profession, they'll be like, and you can just see, they'll be like, well, what do I replace that income with? And I've honestly had colleagues straight tell me, oh, but that's X amount of us, you know, dollars a month. So what do you, what do you give them instead? And I say, nothing. You encourage them to eat more diversity in their diet, right? Like as we're taught, we know, and <laughs> et cetera. And, and I'll kind of get the, oh, let me go talk to somebody else sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one is, are they on stomach? It's called hydrochloric acid. So there's this assumption that we have low stomach acid. And so, you know, these are two simple things, but again, I'm taking things away from, right, a sale. And so, but oftentimes I'll say, that's the problem. You got to start there. What's the difference between a prebiotic and a probiotic? Prebiotics are typically your fibers. So like think food, what's the food for the bugs? Because they're predominantly those things. Mm -hmm. And on probiotic, does it matter the the amount of uh, like there's all these different probiotics. How much how much uh, uh, live culture material is in that, and what is that? Doesn't isn't that like I always think of because uh, you know I'm I'm a DNA guy. Isn't 
a personal experience. Like, what is my gut bacteria? My gut bacteria is not the same as your gut bacteria. How can I go and just buy this? How do I know that that's what I need? I don't encourage, you're talking to somebody who does not encourage probiotics. <laughs> and I, I, I agree. And I, I don't, this is again with, yes, there are scientific studies that are out there and they're oftentimes following a species or there. And I'll say, was that in a human? Number one, I always want to know that. And then at the same time, you're to exactly your point. I'm like, but then in what human? Because I am like, I want to compare the taking it, having you take the probiotic versus me, whether it's a gender or it's stress or, you know, it's personality, it's all of these things. So that's why I don't recommend taking supplements. Oftentimes people are maybe already taking a probiotic and if they can have overgrowth, I'll say, let's maybe pause that. And if we can see a significant, I actually have a private client right now where it clearly pausing a probiotic adjusts their sleep. So now we know but it's, it's good for me and it's good for them as well. Right. We just know we don't, we're not going to change that. Um, Would you suggest taking a probiotic if somebody's taken an antibiotic for a course and then replacing some of that with a probiotic or? No, because again, I follow the research and the evidence of the guidelines, at least in 2018, they come out about every five years and they actually identified that that recommendation is not warranted that taking a probiotic because you're taking a broad spectrum. This was at least specifically in gastroenterology. And they, they, they found, you know, again, we could get real technical, but it was like a, um, cause it's not technically a probiotic. It's a yeast. The Saccharomyces boulardii was helpful in for one particular condition in Crohn's. Right. So but aside from that, they said, do not recommend this anymore. So that kind of went along with my observation. And also the antibiotic that's used for remove for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, many people don't know this, but it's eubiotic in the sense that the bacteria that are overgrown are actually, they're not pathogenic, i.e. they're not infectious. They are actually are good, friendly probiotic bacteria that just didn't make it to the right compartment, i.e. the large intestine. So this drug, which is pretty spendy, it's been used for other things, right? So there's been lots of money that's gone into proving why it should be used for this because it's eliminating these good guys, their gram negative bacteria. And then it, as it goes through to the large intestine, when the pH changes, it actually turns into a probiotic. So that's why we refer to it as eubiotic. And I'll even have people where I can clearly see in their case, I'll be like, when did you start taking this probiotic? Oh, well, because I was on this antibiotic for bacterial overgrowth. And I'm like, just gave yourself overgrowth again. Do you know if you have a skip in the record? What do you mean by that? Let's find out. I like the the record analogy because being a, a music uh, person that, yeah. that really makes a lot of sense. Um, so describe to me if I were if I were a patient or I would say, and I know you have an assessment that you want people to take, so you kind of learn. Uh, from them up front, what would be an experience that I would have uh, with, you know, treating my, my symptoms with you? How would that work? I'm trying, I'm thinking of something of like maybe a current, can I give you an example? Cause they're, 100%, they're yeah, also sure. a CEO. <laughs> um, so 
they're um, living life, having a great time, right? And they kind of know how they eat and live and whatever. And it's a celebratory moment of the year. And I, I call it watching the movie. So I'm just watching the movie. I know they've gone out and they've been, they've been like uh, colored outside the lines type of thing, right? Alcohol and maybe some drinking. My observation is, hmm, I wonder, because he then started having some gastrointestinal problems. He's like, look, I have this really big, important conference coming up. We got to wrap this up. Like we got to just fix this, right? You get that message where it's like, this needs to, (laughs) and I'm like, okay, I understand. And because I know their epigenetics and because, and that's because they've either done 23andMe or they've done a kit specifically for this test that I'd like. Then I can go, and I always am going back and re-reviewing, you know, for anything this person tells me, I'm going to go back and look at these pathways and look at how it, what's going on in their life pertains to them right now. So I look at the situation and I say, okay, you have this medication on hand. You have the 10 day course of it, right? You got that. But I know the situation well enough and I'm going to have you just take one as needed. And as we do this, these other things and they've got all their supplements lined up, they know one, two, three, what they're supposed to do. And within 72 hours before they even got on the plane, things are quote unquote fixed, right? Now I've also educated them as to why and what, and they know and they understand themselves so that they can communicate with me and I can communicate with them. Right. And they're able to say, because even as they were traveling, I'm able to go, how's that going? You know, are things that's when they're in my private program, right? They have this access to me. What's interesting is I said, look, I'm just watching the movie here, but I think you had a food poisoning at that celebratory gathering. I don't think, you know, he's just in his zone doing his thing. And it's a few months because it takes 21 days to build an antibody for our immune system to then show us this. So it was around, it was about two months after I said, we really just got to get this blood test because now things are starting, the record's starting to skip, right? Now he's like, hang on a second. I thought this was fixed, right? And so instead of having to go back and go back to just keep taking a Band-Aid and getting a refill of this medication, this person understands now, oh, because we got the test back and it was actually positive. Now we're able to address the reason why they had a skip and it doesn't make sense. We're under, we're, and now, quite frankly, to be honest with you, with how positive this test is, if I were to be talking to my colleagues, I would say, what would you guys do? And they might go to great lengths with this whole moving the needle of the record, right? They might say, you got a space, you're me. I mean, just the list is long. However, because we know his epigenetics, because he knows himself so well, he's so tuned in, he... It's like, it's as if that's not positive, because if I were to present to people, I think my colleagues would go, oh, gee, does this have, they would think of all these kind of negative and ways that he could backtrack. But I would go actually instead, because we know his epigenetics, he's so actively involved in understanding what's going on with him. It's not a problem. And he knows what to do about it, but he has me, it's kind of like athlete coach to um, tune those skills. Is doing like a gut microbiome test important? Not in my opinion. I save the money and go in a different way because again, a lot many people have come to me with that. Um, it's a snapshot in time. So if it's been any longer than 
I'm going to be sassy a day. Yeah. <laughs> not a value to me. I mean, there is, I'm not going to mention the company's names, but there is a pretty well-known uh, gut microbiome test that uh, there's a, uh, they have some celebrity endorsements, uh, somebody who uh, is, uh, somebody that I personally respect. I, I don't think they have any knowledge of gut microbiome, but they do have, you know, knowledge of meditation uh, techniques, but are promoting this, this test. I, I did it myself. And what I found interesting is that it's not very actionable. So they'll tell you some things. These are foods that you may want to stay away from. These are foods that, you know, are better for you, but in moderation. And these are your superfoods. But if I'm taking some of that stuff, I know the way my body feels. So there is something that's not correct. If I'm, if you're telling me this is my superfood, but I'm feeling not at my best when I consume that as a superfood, then something is off. And I like the way you put, you know, this, this moment in time that it captures. I think of blood tests as that same thing. So it's a moment in time, but you're saying that it doesn't really add much value. However, Understand, like keeping this, keeping a diary of like foods that you consume, things that make you feel a certain. What did I eat? Say, well, you know what? I started eating red pepper, and after I started eating red pepper more and more, I'm starting to feel something. Is that more important? That communication of understanding what you're consuming than having this kind of snapshot in time? Oh, in my opinion, very much so, because I've been through all of the quote unquote food. Sen- if I hear food sensitivity, <laughs> it's one of my things, although I've been through there. I've been, you know, if you need to go on the journey, please enjoy it. Just know, don't pull your hair out and change everything and throw things out and then go, I'm never eating almonds again. That was me, you know, because you, you might, <laughs> or it's not the end of the world if you do, you know. Um, because it's so funny because my, uh, this person, the same person I just referred to, um, before they were waiting until the new fiscal year to like renew, but it was, they're like, I couldn't, I had to come back, but they went to someone else and got a, a, te- a stool test. And, you know, again, it's just, they, and they go, I know, I know how you feel about this, but they actually, um, on the one you're referring to, I did see some, I was in, uh, with a personal trainer who included it as part of their, their program. And so I, I was just like asking as many people as I could, cause I was the cynical, like not cynical, just the scientist there will have it. Cause I think it's some interesting data. I know exactly what's going on. And I, I, even when you look at the the information. I'm like, yes, that's great data of that moment. And that's where, thank you for saying, I'm referring to microbiome specialists, people who have written the articles and are coming from Stanford, et cetera. And I've listened and kind of had, you know, a wine and cheese with them. And I know what they're looking for in a test. And I've actually listened to a PhD talk about how even they struggle as a research team through the marketing. They're like, look, we're the same. They're like, consumers have this problem. We have this problem. And we're the ones doing the research to provide this data. So just know that you're doing the best you can, but it pretty much is, I mean, I reference the Stanford because they actually look at diapers. And so their data is saying, look, we look at the diaper every single day. That's how you can know that the testing has relevance versus a snapshot. 
Yeah, and I, and I completely agree with you. And this whole food sensitivity thing, like, look, there there are people that have real intolerances to gluten. There are people who have real intolerance to lactose. There's genetic predispositions to those. There's a series of uh, you know enzymes, the cytochrome enzymes that metabolize them, and that metabolize those things. Well, same thing with cannabis. There are certain people that just are poor metabolizers of THC through the first pass. There's science associated with that. But this whole thing of food sensitivities, are you sensitive to food? Are you sensitive to the coating on the apple that is in the store? What about the glue that had the label on there? Or maybe it's a combination of different things that's going on in your system that this, you know, your immune system didn't like that for some reason. It's I use this example, and I don't know, I'll defer to you if this makes, makes sense, but uh, I am completely like paranoid of blood tests. I get super anxious when my blood is drawn. Uh, and, uh, and I have tattoos and stuff. So it's not the needles and uh, the shots don't bother me, but it's this whole notion of like getting my blood drawn and sitting there. So I get lightheaded. I see stars. It's the, the worst experience. So I, I, I don't really go to a traditional doctor, but I did this concierge medical thing to get my physical, you know, turn 50, it's time to go and, and make sure, you know, we, we check ourselves out. And uh, I came back, everything was great, except I had a little bit of higher glucose uh, or, um, uh, yeah, so blood sugar uh, level. And uh, she was saying, you know what, you eat right, everything is good. I don't, I don't know, I don't think it's anything specific, but if you want, wear a glucose monitor and let's see what happens. So to me, this is beyond a snapshot. I can see this happening on a daily basis with food that I consume. I can log it. I can see where my glucose spikes are. But if I'm going back to the snapshot on time and I had this conversation with my healthcare professional, based on my stress levels, I was very, very stressed going into my blood uh, uh, test. So all this cortisol was pumping into my bloodstream, all these things. So if I'm catching a moment in time and I see my glucose levels high, well, it may not have been anything but just that. And now that I monitored that for, you know, several weeks, I can see, all right, you know, I had a little bit of Starbucks and really spiked a little bit. Besides that, it's good. So it's not that. So I really, I don't know if there's a solution for this capturing these moments, you know, we did the study at CU Boulder and it was easy because they had patients that can take blood draws every 15 minutes, or as you said, diapers, you know, on a daily basis, but having a, a test, it really does give you only that moment in time. So I'm not sure how actionable these, these things are. Agreed. And like I say, it's, it can be the best thing ever. Like those personal trainer had this, you know, like a skin condition and it vanished by taking beef out of their life. You know, I, I, you can be touched by these stories. It's if you're still chasing it, right. If you're still taking repeated food sensitivity testing, um, that's when I, you know, I would just say, okay, let's look at our environment. What are you putting on your skin? Could be other behavioral and stress man, you know, these, these other things as well too. So an energy as we've talked about, <laughs> so. I, I really want to, I want to get into that, the whole energy and, and, and tapping and, and everything. Cause I'm super, super curious about that, yeah. you know, and my Philly people will be like, there's a time where I turn this down, but it's all right. Uh, just get, be open to receive. Uh, so what do you feel about the whole thing 
as skin, as being sort of a guide, right? So they say, well, what's going on on the outside is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. Like acne, for instance, if somebody doesn't doesn't have acne, but now they're starting to develop some acne, could be hormonal, okay, possible, I, I don't know, could be food that you consume, could be stress, could be multiple different things. Do you see that, like looking at somebody's skin, what's going on in their skin as a, as a guide and what's going on in the inside? Oh, yeah, because I've actually been the example of like taking a probiotic and just having the worst breakout. I, and I'd be like, look at this. Because <laughs> when it's that bad, you just got to like point it out and be like, yep, this was this brand. You know, I, I don't think I showed the brand, but this is my example. Or I also was, once was so bloated. They, I was asked, like, when was I due? I was like, yeah, no, not pregnant. No, no. <laughs> that, that is the yeah. worst thing to ask a woman in the first place, unless you're. I got, I, got, I was like, it's okay. We're in the SIBO world, but it, you, I'll even have men though that are like, I feel pregnant. And, you know, that's like how, and they'll even say six months, nine months, right? Like people will use the month term. So um, I apologize. I forget. Yeah, you were, we were just saying skin. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. If, if your skin is a, is a guide, but let, let's let's get back to energy. So I am super curious. Once again, going into you're a doctor, doctor of uh, naturopathic medicine. So there is you know a a a way that you approach the body and everything else. But there's also, as you were saying, and you explain what your version of intuitive means. But there's also energy, uh, there is frequency, there is, uh, you know, tapping, there is, uh, there is uh, all these different kind of uh, spiritual practices, or, or for lack of better kind of uh, explaining. How, how does that fit into your practice? Um, it's definitely come by way of my own discovery, um, I would say, and also for my mentor, like, for example, the tapping in particular, my mentor would bring that up with, um, and I'll be honest with you, he would say with particular clients or patients, um, particularly more the IBD uh, type A personalities. And what was interesting is I was actually a student intern getting my hours in and, um, you know, you, you just have these hours upon hours of things to do in med school. And, but whenever he would bring up the tapping in the room, I would go ahead and do it with them because I didn't want the patient to feel awkward and I would feel this improvement. So I would just be like, I feel this shift in my body and I'd be like, huh, okay, interesting. So we had a spring break come up. And I just caught the um, timing of, there's actually a documentary about tapping. And I happened to catch the people who ran that and they were doing a summit. So I spent the week of my spring break just really getting into it. And you, I couldn't deny how I felt in my own body. And I was like, well, if this is going to help me get through med school, that you know, that's great. I really, and I respect him so much to really see how much things would shift for people that I wanted to have that as a tool. What, what is tapping? So tapping is using light pressure. Sometimes you don't even have to use pressure. Sometimes people will rub if they have a stimuli aversion, um, but it's on acupoints. So instead of using needles, we're using our pressure on acupoints and various acupoints that 
um, are helping balancing and ease the body. It's similar to, again, my same mentor would talk about walking, the action of swinging your arms. It's, it's called cross crawl. It helps the body decompress stressful events of the day. So if we look at pretty much all military around the world, they all have this very exaggerated march. And that is specifically to help the body and the brain, um, you know, with traumatic events. So this is like a similar way that can be used, whether it's traumatic events around food or traumatic events um, in people's past. Yeah, that, that's a really great uh, example. I remember Dr. Wayne Dyer uh, being a big uh, uh, proponent of this. And I, I went to a seminar where he was uh, teaching these techniques and on the wrist and some other places as well. So I, I, I try everything. All these things are I'm open to. What, what about frequency and sound uh how does that do you i think i read somewhere that you you do use some some of those techniques and if so maybe you can describe that and how that works it just occurred to me that i'll tell it on like a personal level that um i i met the love of my life and then he died and uh, it was really traumatic and i was really stressed out and my business was like at the peak of everything and I was kind of losing it. And I was like, okay, I just need to meditate. And I set my phone for five minutes and I'm like, I'm going to do this meditation thing. And all these things just came flooding in. And it actually was a moment where I had this patient who only had my cell phone for emergencies. And I was kind of even as I was sitting there, like clearing my mind going, when is this, is it, are we done yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> and like right at the five minute mark, she messaged me and it even said like, this is not an emergency. She just said, I kind of need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. And all of the things that were swirling in my head. In fact, I looked at these particular flowers that I had just bought and I was debating when I bought them, if I should buy tulips or roses. And this person who had crossed over is this energy, spirit, whatever you want to call it now, she came through this text and said, he's glad you bought the tulips. And I was like, what the, huh? <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, I don't know. And she also told me that meditation was going to be important. But every time I sat down to meditate, it was just nearly impossible. And so it wasn't, and I had this patient who was a music producer and we were kind of going back and forth about it. It's like, yeah, we know this is good. And I'm trained in the benefits. And there's plenty of research on this. Um, and then it was actually during the pandemic that we both were sharing, like, you know, I think quite a few people binge watched some things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was newly introduced to uh, ancient aliens is what I'm referring to. And we both stumbled upon this particular, um, well, I shared with him this episode about this alien frequency. Now I was not into the alien piece of it at all per se. I just like, I was so new to this show. I just thought this sounds cool. And you're into frequency and music and I could use a lead magnet for my business. And as things developed, as we were brainstorming, I was like, well, this actually also helps me. I call it my multitask, my meditation, because as I know when we are using these biurnal beats, we can actually kind of help our brain get to a meditative state, in my opinion, more quickly. So I've done my own study in terms of using it and not using it because I use my I use what I've created nearly daily for quite a while now. 
Um, and so that's what I found for myself. So I even did a three minute version, like a song, you know, when I tell myself, I just, I call songs like attitude adjustments. So I have like this three minute biurnal beat where that can just be in between meetings and such, right? That's just allowing my brain to reset and get ready for this next thing. But what I find really interesting in terms of my meditation, I went from not being able to clear my mind to now I can clear my mind very very, very, very well. So much so that um, I call it uh, like I was on the woo spectrum. I was probably in hovering in the middle. <laughs> and when people <laughs> talk about guides and angels or, you know, Akashic records, I was like, that's nice. I'm a doctor, you know? And yet when I got to this level of meditation, I was like, oh, is this what people are talking about? Or, you know, and I, I was, I already knew I was intuitive, but it's just this other level of intuition and connectedness and maybe this consciousness you know it goes deeper and deeper that is soul healing you know so when you can get to the, i didn't even realize i could that that level existed because i wasn't open to it so if any philly folks are still with us <laughs> <laughs> i hear you i understand you and it's it's it can just be this portal that can kind of open slowly. You don't have to just get sucked in. Just even you still being here and listening is, is how it happened for me. I, I like the way you described it. And thank you for sharing your, your personal story. Uh, you know, I really appreciate that. And I, I'm uh, very empathetic of, uh, you, you know, your, your journey. I, I did, um, I did transcendental meditation. So I, I've been, I've been trying to meditate and I'm still trying to meditate because I don't know if, the 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 attempt of meditation is meditation in itself, and I'm still attempting this. Uh, not sure if I'm ever going to perfect it, but I've tried just about anything, and TM does work for me most of the time. But I think what you said is really really important. So this this whole frequency. If you look at traditional meditation uh, that that we're aware of, a lot of it was started with chanting. And even ohm, even even doing that, there are frequencies to that, and and these all these frequencies have been measured so many times over. And we we talk about law of attraction, and all the the secret, and all this other stuff that people think is hokey. But if you really look at the science behind everything, there is specific science to vibrational energy, to the magnetic qualities and properties of this vibrational energy, the frequencies are measurable. The frequencies of uh, vibrational uh, sense is, is measured. And in addition to that, there, there are those, this attractiveness to the magnetic uh, you know, qualities of those frequencies. So it, it's definitely something that makes a lot of sense to me. And even people that listen to music, you don't have to listen to whatever there's, there's a, a, a chanting sound, or I had a Mark Romero on who does, that's what he does is, uh, is, uh, you know, frequency or, or music meditation. There's a certain frequency that he taps in with his guitar. Great. But if I'm listening to, you know, I don't know, Pink Floyd or something like that, and there's been so many nights, everything is off and the lights are off and I'm listening to this music, it, it puts you in some sort of trance-like state of, for lack of a better description. That's all meditation is. If you can get out of your your voice in your head that's telling you things and you can refocus that on something else, it's music, that's what it does. And if you can find something consistently to go to that connects with you, 
great. That's that's a, it's an amazing way to be able to reset. And I, I really like your your description of that. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this about, and you sort of started talking about the woo level. Uh, what about spirit guides and uh, and like um, getting your your fortune read and your your spirit spirit animals? I'm going to preface this question with: I met the my my daughter. I think she was in elementary school still. There's uh, this woman and she was trying to, she was looking on a journey, searching. And she's like, we have this class, we can go with our kids and they'll tell you what your spirit animal is. So I was, I was not like connecting to this whole thing. Oh, it's another one of those LA, but man, it was a really interesting experience. And my spirit animal at the time, if I remember correctly, was a hawk. And through years and years and years, I'm, I'm big on hiking this is my this is my sort of flow state when I'm out of nature. I'm hiking. I can I recorded and took pictures of a hawk flying over me hundreds and hundreds of times. The other thing that happens is when I look at my phone, 444 comes up. And I've done this many, 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 many times. And I've taken screenshots of it. And I show like so. I don't know if anything means anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just obs- observing this whole thing, but I'm not even sure if I have a question specifically uh, to this, <laughs> but I wanted to dig a little bit deeper on this whole spirit and the spirit guides and, and reading fortunes and all that. How, how does that come into the practice? Oh, well, it's, I mean, for me, it depends on, I would say, the the woo spectrum of the person right so i have let's say for example, how do you t- is there a test for the woo spectrum my ceo he, he they're not into the woo they're into meditation i have another high performing you know um big per- that we discovered their meditation i just wanted to bring this up is when they're running because i was like oh let's get into meditation and then all of a sudden again i was watching their movie i was like you know what you do meditate your run in the morning is your meditation right so some that's why i mean i like to multitask like how can i kind of check a few things off so while i'm meditating i'm chatting with my spirit guides yeah (laughs) um so that really comes through by way of, I mean, interestingly enough, a few clients that maybe we started off with, let's do, um, here's the Byronal Beats, you're going to listen to this for 20 minutes, and I'm going to send you energy. And yeah, I might see things and I might, it was new to me, but I might get receive messages of their from their guides. And I have to translate what's best for them and what's, and or use that information to then guide them to connect to their own guide. That's the type of person I am. In fact, I'm really careful to not use like I'm an, I'm the energy healer. I really do prefer to say I'm an energy channel because although healer is more, you know, kind of mainstream, I want to emphasize it's not me doing it. I am facilitating, I'm helping you and your body align to what's the best frequency for you and not because some people will kind of have this ego involved. And I like to make sure my energy is out of it. Um, so, so that's one thing. And in particular, there's one case right now who, um, 
who I didn't even think would be interested in the energy work based on their background and what they do. And yet they just kind of slowly, but surely I think are, have been connecting to their guides. And what was interesting is um, as a doctor, I said, okay, and as a naturopath, I don't tell people to stop gluten. If I suspect that they have a, have celiac, that we mentioned this earlier, I don't want them to stop eating gluten as just that this is what we do. I actually want them to see a specialist and get a biopsy and be diagnosed if they indeed have a gluten sense. And we're talking about an intolerance versus a sensitivity. So I suspected this person had an intolerance and referred them to the gastroenterologist. They agreed because they were having it intermittently, like in their, like they weren't avoiding it. Right. So they said, yes, we actually need you to have direct gluten exposure for two weeks so that we can do this proper testing. And we had been doing energy work weekly. Um, and we do this via distance where we just have a set time. They let me know so they can be listening to whatever they want to, but we just have a set time and I send the energy to them. It was really amazing how much they'd improved in their case. And they even sent me a text message saying they were, you know, like they're really happy. They renewed their program also. So they were like, this, this is working for me. I'm like, great. I'm just observing scientists here. <laughs> and yet in this particular session, cause I was like, we're going to focus on you having to have this gluten exposure. So it was really interesting to me that their guides came and kind of literally gave these tools and they're like, this is what this person needs for this gluten exposure. And I was like, how in the world am I going to tell a patient this? Like, yes, we're on, we're kind of whatevering in this woo spectrum here, but how am I going to tell them that their guides are saying like, cause it was pretty wooey what they were telling me. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what, we're just going to do this. And I said, this, this is what your guide said, and this is what they want you to do. And when you're exposing yourself to gluten, you know, and it was, it was literally just as we know with the power of the mind, right? The brain, if you're thinking about playing the piano, right? Versus actually doing it. So it was this very interesting thing, but I was expecting them. I was expecting contact from them of like, oh gee, these are the symptoms I'm having from this two-week exposure to gluten. I did not hear from them and they sailed through the gluten exposure. Now they actually didn't have celiac, but it was profound to me, to be honest with you, and for them as well. And now they know, okay, sure, I can choose to avoid it because it might, um, we have a difference between gluten affecting your intestine, which is why you need a specialist, versus non-celiac, not affecting your, your gut, gluten sensitivity, which can affect your brain and your skin. So now they're aware that it didn't give them the brain fog, didn't give, break them out, so we can know that they can have gluten exposure. Maybe they're not choosing to have gluten on the daily, but it's going to be okay if they have exposure. It was more a problem of mold exposure uh, yeah. in their environment. That was the problem. Yeah, That, that makes sense. Uh, you, you mentioned running. There was a study that came out a few months ago about this runner's high that people get. So they started measuring and andamite levels, and they think that it, you know, the runner's high is a really secretion of anandamide, which is, you know, for audience, an endogenous endocannabinoid that is, uh, you know, expressed uh, naturally, and also when you consume 
uh, THC that binds to your CB1 receptor and releases that anandamide, which the word anand means bliss in Sanskrit. So uh, this is my long-winded way of asking uh, your your thoughts and opinion uh, professionally and personally on plant medicine. Ooh, in what way? Are you a uh, proponent of plant medicines? That's something that you look to uh, include in your practice and uh, in general, how do you feel about plant medicine, starting from cannabis to other plant medicines uh, to, uh, you know, maybe even uh, psychedelics, etc.? Well, I would say as a naturopath, but I understand why this question is being asked. I'm all about the plants. That's what brought me into being a naturopath. We we have to try, oh my gosh, I think 200 tinctures of different plants, you know, to really understand tannins and, you know, all kinds of things, um, and what, what effect it has in your, <laughs> um, so for sure. Um, and I fully support cannabis. I have personal experience with it. Um, even as I was a teen, actually, I would say it was in college. And I was having horrific blackout migraines and um, meningitis was on campus. Um, so I, I was actually, I dropped, literally dropped on my German professor's desk, turning in a final. Um, so I was worked up for cannabis. I went to, excuse me, for meningitis. I went to a neurologist and they continued to put me on um, hardcore drugs that just left me, I would go back to them and be like, I can't function. I'm a college student. Whereas cannabis helped me come out of not wanting to be here. They were, migraines were that bad. Um, and so that's my proponent of it. Now I was kind of more so raised where I was exposed to it in, in Alaska. It was pretty normal, even as a child for there to be a joint floating around somewhere or <laughs> that was not abnormal at all. So, um, but also it wasn't abnormal for me either. If that makes sense. My, everyone was all well-respected in the community, right? It was just this, like, what's wrong with it. So that's kind of the, where I'm coming from with it. Yeah. And, which is, which, you know, I am in full agreement. That's the way it, it should be. It should not be stigmatized. What, what about, what about other plant medicines, uh, and not even plant medicines, like things like ketamine uh, that are being used now. You know, there's there's definitely studies supporting the use of ketamine for depression, et cetera. But just in general, like uh, these, uh, I don't know, traditional therapeutics and maybe even uh, some of these other pharmaceuticals that, that have been uh, created for one purpose, but now they're being utilized for a different purpose and having, you know, some efficacy. That's what I'm all about. I call myself the N of one, even rogue. I, call, I say that I practice rogue medicine. I, I We all need each other. I need the cohorts. I need the evidence-based algorithm medicine. And then I need to be able to look at the N of one and say, I want to do this. I, I, I've started and throughout my practice done off-label use. So if that's the question, yes, I'm a rogue rebel, whatever you want to refer to it as. But that's by way of listening to the patients too. And yes, I've been approached by a ketamine clinic recently. Um, one of my colleagues from med school is a very well-known and respected psilocybin um, facilitator. So I'm very much in support of all of that because 
whatever works for someone, right? If somebody has had depression, so such severe depression that no medication has worked for them, and I understand pathways and quite a, and pharmacology, I'm like, why wouldn't why would I judge them trying something such as, for example, ketamine if it's going to change their yeah. life? So. And and psilocybin things like that. Yeah, I, I always find it fascinating because I, there are studies supporting this and uh, genetic studies as well, and epigenetic studies about treatment resistant depression. And you still go into you know a a psychiatrist or or, or prescriber, and they'll give you you know, you're you're depressed. They'll give you an antidepressant without ever looking to see if you have treatment resistant depression. You'll get the medication. It's not going to work for you. You'll still suffer the side effects. I had a, a guy on my on my podcast who was uh, he was given medication that uh, that had for his OCD, I believe, that the side effect was suicidal thoughts. So he's addressing his uh, it's a benzodiazepine, right? So he's addressing his so uh, he's addressing his OCD versus the side effect of suicidal thoughts. And he actually tried to commit suicide several times and actually successfully did so when he overdosed and was able to be brought back to life from, you know, a medication that he was supposed to take for his, uh, you know, OCD, ADHD. I mean, the medication was worse than the actual condition. And I don't even think... It's that major of a condition. Maybe it's something else that you can you can go through and, and adjust in your life. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you 100% uh, that we need to do a better job on that. What what would you say people like these short snippets, and I hate this kind of thing, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Like, what would you suggest be like three or five things that people should do uh, to be able to look at their own health, their gut health, and overall health. What would be some suggestions you would make? That like s- some quick bullets. Quick suggestions about your gut health. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't eat sugar. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So I would say you may not need a probiotic. That is always going to be my number one because if you and and many people might be shocked by that, but I'm going to say if you have digestive issues and you're like, but I'm on a probiotic, I'm like, yeah. That's my point. <laughs> Let's try taking that away first. Um, because so many people assume that's what's going to make it better. It could actually be making it worse. I see this all the time. Number two, um, yes, you do need to be eliminating. I think that can be something that people don't want to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about their poo or their regularity, or maybe you're in a family where that's just, that's the norm. Just know some people that's not the norm. Um but like do something about it, please seek help. Like I always think of, think about your child. If you've had a child, you pretty knew much knew what was going on with them based on their diapers. Right. So I like to say to people, when we stop talking about our diapers, because you do it at the beginning of life and you do it at the end and you know, what's going on with you. So what what should we be looking at? What, what, what should we be looking at in our diaper? Is a, Bristol stool scale. If you want to Google this, there sure is. And you can look, <laughs> look it up. And it's, uh, it's basically one through six and they literally have photos and you can see cartoon ones and you can see some pretty specific graphic ones. And it's not to poke fun. It's really, if somebody sees they are a Bristol stool scale one 
and that's what they've been. And I've seen this where they're like, that's just what it's always been. And they don't know that I don't like to use the word normal. I like to say they don't know that that's physiologically telling them something, you know, they can visually see it. Now, the ideal is a formed stool that I like to say, you get the call from nature, you go, it's not that big of a deal. You don't have any residue on the tissue and it is a formed like sausage, whatever length, you know, that can be dependent on a person's length of their colon, but that's the big thing. If it's going either direction from there, either know your body, right? Know what you're putting in your body and, or get a professional to help you. Got it. All right. Well, oh, oh, one other thing I wanted to ask you is one of the things that you uh, also do and focus on and talk about on your website is this investing, right? So you have this, uh, I don't remember exactly, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you you have an opportunity to look at uh, investments in sort of the healthcare space. So it is is that of a, an area of focus for you to try to uh, help people on the investment side, or or be or participate as an investor in some of these opportunities? Uh, like, what's uh, what should people reach out to you about if they have? Yeah, an so I am interested in helping businesses grow and scale. I can do I do that by way of like being a strategic advisor or consultant. I also am interested in acquiring businesses, profitable businesses. You know, some people are either ready to do something else or for whatever other reasons, they have this great, successful, profitable business. So myself and or people in my network might be interested in that. Um, so that's what I really enjoy is, is also, I could like to say, I like to diagnose a business's real problem, right? And intuitive, like kind of epigenetic intuition of a business as well. <laughs> I have a few questions I ask all my guests and uh, some of them are more personal. So hopefully uh, uh, you can answer most of them. They're not, not challenging. But the first one to give you an example is uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. My first experience, I think that would probably be when I, like as taking it myself or- Yeah, consuming cannabis yourself. Describe it? Well, well, yeah, what was it it like? Did you hang out with friends? You smoked a joint? Uh, Yeah, it was was definitely my, like my sister and we um, found her dad's stash. And, um, yeah, it was, I guess it was just kind of that fun thing to do that seemed fairly normal to both of us as far as like what we were around. Um, I think I was more into it than she was. And that kind of pans out more in life. She's prefers alcohol more, (laughs) I think, (laughs) um, yeah. So was it, was it a good experience that you feel, uh, yeah, 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 for sure. I dopamine pathways for me. Yeah. Some music questions is uh, uh, music is something that I'm uh, pretty passionate about. Do you remember what the very first concert that you ever attended was? And I know it's Alaska. You probably only had one a year or something, but. Well, my dad was real bit. My dad had a huge album collection. Uh, I believe it's Linda Ronstadt. Okay. Very cool. Do you remember what the first album you ever bought was? 
Oh, that I bought? Because like I say, my dad exposed me to it. I was like drilled on music uh, <laughs> and how to handle albums. And um, Yes. Oh, gosh. Maybe Purple Rain album. Yeah, we just went to see Purple Rain uh, anniversary at the uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Oh, okay. This whole thing with Purple Rain. People were all dressed up. As Prince, it was... Uh, oh, really? Because I didn't even make that connection. I was like, I was like visualizing my record. I was like, I think that might have been first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, is there anything that you're listening to these days that uh, is interesting that you want to share? I'm really into Burner Boy. And uh, so I like Afrobeat, Dancehall. I just had Steph London on yesterday. <laughs> um, T.Y. Savage. Um, and then I always, if I, it depends on my mood. I like Tom Petty. Um, Bob Marley is a staple that I grew up in that was the eighties, um, household cleaning. And, um, well, Tool is a con like, that's who, who I'll go and see by myself as a concert. And, you know, you know what happened to Maynard? He, um, fractured, if I remember correctly, his hip bone, he had to have hip replacement surgery because when he was he would dance, he would slap sl- uh, his leg on the ground, like kind of stomp, yeah, in a way, yeah. And he that leg. Uh, and he had to, yeah, he had to get a hip replacement surgery. He's good now. Stress fracture, I bet. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, for yeah. years and years of doing that whole thing, but yeah, it's oh, uh, it's I'm my happiest at a tool concert, like just <laughs> yeah. Uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? I mean, not to get dark, but I did not want I, it, those migraines were okay. I'll take it back to the melodrama. I had an anvil. That was one of my props. And I used to think, just drop the anvil on my head. I'm done. Cannabis brought me life. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. Well, I'm glad you're here. I have a uh, <laughs> oh, uh, final question, bonus question. Uh, please describe what your room looked like growing up. My room looked like growing up. Well, um, my, I came back from visiting my dad. Actually, my mom had painted it yellow. Um, and I had a very colorful, like, um, comforter. I always had a down comforter in Alaska. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Colorful. Any, any, uh, anything on the walls? Were there posters? Was there art? Was there, like... Your favorite band? Is it the Backstreet Boys or something like that? Or uh, Zeppelin? No, not really. I really wasn't um, a decorative person. I was very much more of a music person. Like, it was like, where's the stereo going? And I also uh, bought a lot of my things as a kid. Does that make sense? Like, I did all my, I bought my own comforter and such. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, Manny, when can people contact you, find out more about your practice and get engaged with uh, all the amazing things that you're doing. Intuitive Edge Doctor is my website. People can contact me there. They can also reach me at SIBOSolution.com, depending on what they're looking for. Well, great. I wanted to thank you so much. This is great. Really, really appreciate your time. So uh, we will uh, talk to you very soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. 
To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.